you didn't know, you better call somebody. Come back, baby. What, 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 what? Four out of five top Hollywood movie stars use Moment of Clarity. Oh! Oh my goodness, my goodness, my goodness. That's right, it's me again. And you are tuned in to another eclectic episode of moment of clarity right here on the promised life network my name is stefan g and boy oh boy do i have a lot of things i want to talk about today eh, you know how that goes to be honest with you i really really don't have that much i want to talk about i just have a lot of things that i want to say about a couple of subjects You know, normally I would say, oh, I got so many different subjects that I want to talk about. But like I said, this new format show that we're trying to do now, I'm trying to streamline this thing. I'm trying to make it much more compact. So, you know, before we would go two hours and cover like eight, nine different topics today. And from now on, I want to do something in the realm of go one hour. Well, it's always going to be one hour, but I want to go one hour and cover like two topics really head on. And. Today is one of those days. Now, there might be another day where I'll come in and I'll just start rambling. And, you know, I come in and have my rants from time to time. But today is the day that I really want to tackle this particular topic. I almost let the cat out of the bag. I almost told you what it was. But I really want to tackle this particular topic. I've been on, if you've been reading the blog, if you've been paying attention on Facebook, if you've been listening to the podcast, I've been on this who you are kick. I've been on this finding yourself, discovering who I am kick, right? And I realize as I've been on this kick and as I've been talking to people and interacting with people, whether it's in person or online, that there are a lot of us out there that don't really know who we are. And those of us that that do know who we are, there's still a majority of us that know who we are that are operating in who we are. We're not doing who we claim we are supposed to be. And before you before you try to flip this over, you know, before you try to hit the stop button, I'm not talking about sin. I'll address sin because, you know, sin is a part of that. But if you really want to know more about sin, get my book. I got a book that I wrote a long time ago that I'm revising and I'm I'm republishing it. It's called I've Fallen. It's all about sin. So when you want to talk about sin, When I'm ready to re-release the book, we'll talk about sin. But today's not necessarily about sin. Sin will be in there, but just don't get your panties in a bunch. But what I am talking about more than anything else, and this is the kick that I've been on recently, and maybe it's because I am doing it. Maybe it's because I haven't been doing it. Maybe it's because I don't do it as much as I feel like I should or whatever the case may be. But the kick that I'm on today is purpose and who am I really? You know, who am I created to be? And I'm not going to really get into the how to find your purpose in life thing. Not quite yet. The first thing I want to address is the very beginning. So, you know, this is a, a, a Christian podcast. So I like to talk to people who are Christians or claim to be Christians or have 
basically said the sinner's prayer or you're thinking about being a Christian or whatever the case may be. But this right now specifically is for my Christians. And when I say I want to start at the beginning, I really want to start at the day you got saved. Most of us feel like we know what our purpose in life is or feel like we are gearing towards our purpose in life. And a lot of us might don't even pay any attention to it. We go to work, we come home. You know, it's like Joyce Meyer says, the majority of your day is get up, get the kids ready for school, cook breakfast, get the kids off to school, go to work, come home, cook dinner, get the kids ready for bed, take a shower, kiss your husband, go to sleep or kiss your wife, go to sleep, wake up, do it all over again. But for those of you out there who want to do more than that, this today is kind of for you. And so I want to, like I said, I want to start at the beginning. And when I say I want to start at the beginning, what I'm really talking about is the day you got saved. And I'm going to ruffle a couple of feathers probably when I say this, but nine times out of 10, the day you got saved, whether it was on the beach, whether it was in a church, whether it was on the street corner and somebody came out to minister to you, nine times out of 10, the day you got saved Whoever it was that was near you or around you when you got saved lied to you. They lied to you. And they didn't know they were lying to you. They kind of did, but they hadn't really explored the depths of what their lie consisted of and how it might impact your life. But the truth of the matter is they lied to you. Not only did they lie to you, they started out misleading you. They began your salvation by misleading you. And what I mean when I say that is the day you got saved, if you fall in the majority. Now, I understand every case is not exactly the same. Everybody didn't get saved saved the same way. Everybody didn't have the same words said to them when they got saved. Whatever the case may be, I get it. But if you fall within the majority When you got saved, one of these two things, if not both of these things, were said to you. When you got saved, somebody told you, if you give your life to Christ, he'll make everything better. That was the first lie. That was the first and number one most glaring lie. If you give your life to Christ, he will make everything better. Now, the truth of the matter is, Technically, it's not a lie. It really isn't. If you look at the bare bones of what they said, Christ will make everything in your life better. The, the, the real part of that statement that's a lie is the everything part. That was the first lie. And we'll tackle that lie in just a second. As soon as I tell you what the misleading part was. So they lied to you when they told you once you get saved, God is going to make everything in your life better. And like I said, it's technically a lie. It's up for your interpretation because if you interpreted it the correct way, then it wasn't a lie. But if you interpreted it the way 90% of us interpret it, then it was a bold-faced lie. I would like to reword that statement when people get saved. But then what they did in misleading you is chances are you've been in church somewhere, somehow, sometime. And the pastor or the minister or whoever's up there doing an altar call, right? And they told you, they said these key words, come as you are. 
We've all heard that, right? Come as you are. Jesus wants you just the way you are. You know, you hear preachers preach an entire sermon on how God doesn't want you to be perfect before you get here. He wants you to come just the way you are. He loves you just how you are. He loves you just the way you are. We hear it all the time. And it's funny, I was talking to a friend of mine the other day. It's probably about a couple weeks ago, leading up to this podcast, because I've been thinking about this for a long time. And I was talking to a friend of mine and I was telling him how it's interesting that when people get saved, we, we can hear that statement. God wants you just the way you are. And then immediately after we say amen, I mean, from the very second that we say, God, come into my heart, come into my life, live within me, whatever your sinner's prayer happened to be. Amen. Immediately after that, the person or persons that help bring us to that place that helped bring us to the one, to Christ Almighty, who wanted us just the way we were, immediately after the words amen came out, started telling us what we needed to change. And that is the misleading part. So we've got the lie. Give your life to Christ and he will make everything better. And then we've got the misconception. The mis Well, I don't even want to call it a misconception. It's a falsehood, a misnotion, a misleading. I'll just keep calling it misleading. The misleading that God wants you just the way you are, but change this and change this and change this and change this and change this. Now that he's got you, you've got to change all of this stuff that you used to do. And I'm here to tell you that both of those areas are not true. That's what I'm here to say. That's what I'm here to say, that both of those areas are not true. And like I said, I know I'm going to ruffle some feathers with this. I know some people aren't going to appreciate what I have to say today, but it's the truth. God is not going to make everything in your life better. Now, you have to stick with me to hear what I mean when I say that. Having God can make your perception of everything in your life change but it's not going to change necessarily the things that are going to happen in your life. Number one. Number two, the minute you came to Christ, God wanted you just the way you were. After you said, amen, change this, change that, change the other. Not true at all. God doesn't want you to change yourself. God wants you to be changed through him. Those are the two lies, the two lies that 90% of Christians are told when they come into salvation. God wants you just the way you are. And God's going to make everything better. And the truth of the matter is God does want you just the way you are. But it's the people who think you need to change everything that there is to change about you because you're a no good sinner. And now that you're saved, you should be living an upright and holy life. So. I got to go to a quick break. When I come back, I'm going to go in these into these areas deeper. And I'm going to tell you more about the first lie. The first lie, which is the lie that states everything in your life is going to be better once you find Christ. That is a bold-faced lie, and we need to stop telling that to Christians. It really, really helps to up the rate of backsliddenism, if that is a word, because it's just not true. We need to tell the truth. We need to reword that statement. God doesn't make everything in your life better. 
knowing God changes your perception of the things that happen in your life. Moment of clarity, Stefan G, back in a bit. They raided the tomb like Angelina Jolie, but all they found was some dirty clothes and a white tee. That excites me, see y'all can't hype me. Your mama love the flow, your homeboy don't like me. I tell him do the right thing like Spike Lee. He booing from the front row just to spite me. But he's the reason that I write these. Bars without reference to cars are staying icy. See, y'all know where my confidence is. I want my life screaming, Jesus lives. You know that the ice cream scoop can make a child smile, and that by slowing us down, the traffic light can keep us going. You know that the lawnmower makes life easier, that the blood bank makes life possible. But did you know all these ideas came from the minds of African Americans? Support the United Negro College Fund, because a mind is a terrible thing to waste. Visit uncf.org or call 1-800-332-UNCF. Brought to you by UNCF and the Ad Council. The odds of a babysitter calling 911, 1 in 1,400. The odds of a child being diagnosed with autism, 1 in 150. To learn the signs of autism, visit AutismSpeaks.org. Brought to you by Autism Speaks and the Ad Council. I'm about to record this hook, y'all. It go, it go, it go, it go. Let's get it, yeah. I'm not as serious as some may esteem. This dream will get washed out like Listerine. If it ever stops being so pristine, switches up in style like Aguilera, Gaga, Christine, or Britney Spears drinking beers while it's glistening. I don't belong here, I am just visiting with no visa, and I'm here to see Caesar, and I got all of my reasons. Bottom line is that we won. They looking so powerful, though. Moment they of clarity. Like with only one contestant in it while they it's your man, Stefan G. But I'm chilling on the show. And uh, we're talking about the lies that you were told when you found Jesus. And chances are you were told one of the two lies. Moment of Clarity, this is Stefan G. You're tuned in on the Promise Life Network. Uh, this segment of Moment of Clarity brought to you by your best resume ever. If you are looking for a job or just want to improve your the way your resume looks, go to yourbestresumeever.com. There you will find resume tips, resume examples, and lots of ideas how to create your best resume ever. That's your best resume ever. Dot com, your best resume ever dot com. So we're talking about the lies that you were told when you got saved. Lie number one was that finding Jesus will make everything better in your life. That was the first lie they told you. That was probably the lie they told you in order to get up to telling you the second lie or the misleading portion statement, which is God wants you just the way you are. And then as soon as you say, amen, thank you for accepting me the way I am, Jesus. They immediately told you, now change this about yourself, change that about yourself. You can't dress like this. You can't walk like this. You can't talk like that. You can't be around these people. You have to lose all your friends. You guys remember that, don't you? I know for me, it was tough. That was a lot of pressure. It was tough. I lost everybody in my life, everybody. 
And, you know, I know all of the great theologians will say, well, that's what you needed to do. You needed to lose everybody in your life so that God could cleanse you and perfect you and bring you to a state of holiness. Guess what? I ain't there yet. I'm still being cleaned <laughs> or cleansed. I'm still being made holy every single stinking day. I am not there yet. And I didn't necessarily have to lose everybody in my life to get there. But that's lie number two. We'll get to lie number two in a second. Lie number one was the lie that God will make everything in your life better. This lie, when I, rec- when I finally recognized it as a lie, I was pissed. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> I'm not going to lie. I was pissed off. I really was. I was entirely ticked off because the perception of who God was in my life changed completely completely and the person that I had created him to be in my mind based off that statement crumbled to the ground and I felt like I had lost Christ like I felt like this isn't real I've lost what Christianity really is and the truth of the matter is God can do amazing and outstanding and wonderful and magnificent things here on earth. He can change everything in your life. He really, really can. But the truth is he wants to be a part of the change. He wants to be one part of the change and he wants you to be another part of the change. It's a two-way street. And so the same people that have told you when it comes to getting something in your life and they tell you, well, God's not going to bless you if you're not doing this and you're not doing that and you're not doing this, right? Part of that is true because God wants you in a position to effect change, not only in your life, but in the lives of others. He wants you to be in a position to effect change in your life, in the lives of your family members, in the lives of your friends, in the lives of your community, in the lives of your coworkers. He wants you to be in that position to effect magnificent change in other people's lives. But he's not going to do all the work himself. In fact, when he died on the cross, he made a, on the cross, the crossed, I'm sorry, crossed is not a word. When he died, (laughs) when he died on the cross, he made a very, very definitive statement. Three words, it is finished. Now, people interpret that numerous different ways. And who knows, five months from now, three years from now, eight years from now, I might interpret it completely different than I do right now. But from the moment I made this realization about a year ago, maybe two years ago, a little bit more than that. But from the moment I made this revelation a few years ago, I realized that when God said it is finished, he really meant it. It's finished. God sent Christ to earth to do what Christ needed to do on earth. He came, he saw, he kicked butt, and he said, the rest is up to you. It is finished. I have done what I have come down here to do. And I'm done. (laughs) Everything else is up to you. Now, People will tell you 
God is going to change everything in your life. Come to Christ and everything in your life will get better. Hogwash. You come to Christ, number one, not only will everything in your life get better, nine times out of ten, a lot of things in your life might get a little bit worse. Now, that doesn't mean it has to stay that way, but it can happen. Because first of all, if you want to think from a spiritual aspect of it, if you want to think from, man, I can't talk today at all. If you want to think from the spiritual aspect, then the minute you find Christ, Satan's on his game. He's like, oh, I got an enemy. It's time to fight. So he's spiritually going to begin to attack you in some way, shape, or form. Now, granted, the enemy, his attacks are usually suggestions, temptations, Things that cause us to not believe or have faith, which cause us to fall into sin. Those are his attacks. And those can be defeated. They can be thwarted. You can really get to a place where those don't affect you. But there's only one way to do it. And that is with, and you've heard this word before, with relationship. Relationship with Christ. Now, so people will tell you, God's going to change everything in your life. And that's just not true. Things are still going to happen. People in your life are still going to die. Bills are still going to need to be paid. Car accidents are still going to happen. People will still get sick. You might get robbed one day. Somebody might steal something out of your car. People are still going to lose jobs. People are still going to have everything that happens in this world on a regular basis. And what happened with me was, I had gotten to a point where I believed so much the lie that I was told that when you get saved, everything will get better. See, my interpretation of that at that time was when I get saved, all of these things that happen to me in my life will cease to happen to me. I won't lose jobs like I used to because God's on my side now and he's going to make sure that I keep my job and I'm not going to get into car accidents like I used to because God's got angels encamped around my car to keep it from running into another car and I'm not going to this and I'm not going to that because God's got my back. It's just not true, people. It's just not true. And I hate to say it so bluntly, and it, and it can almost seem as if I'm coming across as an unbeliever, but I'm not. I believe. I know. I don't even have to believe. I know. But I also know that when we use those words, God is going to make everything in your life better, that interpretation, the same interpretation I had, can come into someone's life and they can begin to become disappointed in Christ. Because that's where I went. I went to a place where I was disappointed in God. And I went to a place from being disappointed in God to being pissed off at God. And I went from a place of being pissed off at God to being angry at God. And then I went from a place of being angry at God to not talking to him at all. All because that's what these people told me. They told me my life was going to get better when I met you. And we met and we started talking and we're hanging out and everything's good. But it's not better. It's just where it was. And I didn't know how to deal with that. I didn't know how to handle that. Like I said, it's not true. What changes, what makes your life better by knowing Christ is you. You are what makes your life better by knowing Jesus Christ. Because what happens is you come into a relationship with Christ. You guys get to talking. You get to praying, you get to reading his word. And as you read his word, you start to see things differently. And as you read his word, your perception on life begins to change. And as you read his word, things come out 
that didn't come out before. And so the rose-colored glasses that you were using before to look at life are now turning into 2020 vision as you continue along this journey of growing a deeper relationship with Christ. And as those glasses become 2020 vision, you start to look at things differently. So when you get in a car wreck, it's not, oh my God, why did you let this happen? I thought you were supposed to be protecting me. It's, wow, these things happen. Thank you, Lord, that I didn't die. And it's not to say that you are not upset that you got in a wreck, but it's just to say that your perception is different. Yeah, you're upset that you got to rent a car and you got to, you know, your car smashed in, but hey, you're still alive. God is good, right? Perception changes. Same thing when you lose, the, lose a loved one. Instead of, now I'm not going to say you're not going to be sad because you are going to be sad when you lose a loved one. But as your perception begins to change, you start to cherish and remember all of the wonderful, outstanding, fantastic times you and this person had together. And instead of going down the road of depression, you go into a place of joy, of remembering all of those experiences. And you find yourself laughing with tears, tears that they're gone, but joy that you got to experience that amount of time in life with them. And that's what really makes your life better when you find Christ. And I'm saying all of this, and I know I'm kind of dragging this out, but I'm saying all of this because I want to drive home the point that I really believe that we need to reconfigure the way we make that statement when we're telling people, come over here, see a man named Jesus. Because it can lead to something, or as politicians like to call it, unintended consequences. It can lead to unintended consequences when we make the statement so blanket like that, when we just say, come over here and everything in your life is going to get better. Well, I mean, come on. When you say that to somebody, what do you think they're expecting? Everything in my life is going to get better. That means better job. My kids are going to start to behave. You know, my wife's going to stop nagging me. My job's going to give me a promotion and more money. My car is going to go better. My, my, I'm not going to be depressed anymore. I'm not going to be this anymore. I'm going to lose weight. I, I mean, all of those things start to go in somebody's mind, but you have to also tell them you are a part of the equation. Because if we don't know that we are a part of the equation, we're just sitting back waiting on God to do everything. And what really kick-started this in my mind is when a friend of mine, I was talking to a friend of mine, and he said to me, you know, I was like, and this was a while back, but I was like, this isn't supposed to happen, talking about a situation in my life. And he was like, why not? I was like, because I'm saved. God's supposed to this, that, and the other thing, right? And he's like, who said he's supposed to do that? And it really changed the way I thought about everything because he didn't say he was supposed to do it. Somebody else said it. Somebody over in some church told me that God is supposed to do everything and I'm supposed to sit back and wait for it. All I have to do is pray and fast and worship and lift my hands and spin around three times, run around the church and scream Jericho and it'll happen. And that's just not how it works. If you want to be a business owner, an entrepreneur, right? Yes, praying is a very, very big part of that. 
But you also have to learn about business and you have to learn about marketing and you have to develop a business plan and you have to build a website and you have to, you know, know something about budgeting and finances and you have to put together a plan for how this is going to work out for you for the next three to five years and you have to find your market your niche and you have to go to where they are and you have to develop a product or a service that somebody wants to buy and you have to develop the operations on how to present that product and that service and then you have to go out and sell it you have to get on the phone and you have to call people and you have to say hey do you want to buy what i'm selling all of that is part of being an entrepreneur it's not just saying I want to be a graphic designer. Thank you, Jesus. Now, what ideally happens is you want to be an entrepreneur. Ideally, it's a a dream that God has put inside of you and you pray about it. And as you pray about it and as you read the word, he leads you into different areas and he leads you to say, "Okay, well, if you want to do this, you need to go take this class. And I want you to go to this networking event so that you can meet this person. And of course, he might not tell you, I want you to go to the networking event X on 15th Street so you can meet Bob. No, but you'll feel an urge (laughs) to go to a particular networking event. And when you get there, you meet Bob and Bob has all of these great things to tell you. And he just loves your passion and he really appreciates what you're trying to do. And he wants to take you under his wing and be your mentor. But you have to put in the work. God is not going to get you a house. You have to learn how to save money so that you can buy a house. God is not going to get you a car. You have to pay off your bills, get a good credit score so that you can get approved for the loan to get a car. Now, there are times, don't get me wrong, there are times that Christ will intervene. You know, I've heard numerous stories, especially with people in ministry, where they're talking about we didn't have the money, we didn't have the credit score, and they approved us anyway. And God intervened. And you know what those are called? I love those because you know what they're called? They're called miracles. And we need to appreciate them as such. Because he said one thing and one thing, well, he didn't say one thing when he died on the cross, but he said one thing that was very profound when he died on the cross. And it is finished. So when God intervenes supernaturally, that's why we call it supernatural, because it's not normal, supernaturally on your behalf, see it as what it is, a miracle, a divine intervention from Christ himself, and be overly excited about that. But everything else, you're going to have to put some work in for. You're really going to have to put some work in for. Moment of clarity, this is Stefan G. We're talking about the lies that you were told when you got saved. The lies that you were told when you got saved. And this number one lie, God is going to make everything better, I think leads to the most backslidden states within Christianity. Because we throw our expectations way, way high. And then those things don't happen And we start to be like, well, this is a bunch of bull. This isn't true. You know, I know I got to the point where a friend of mine asked me one time, do you believe? I was like, no, I don't. And I didn't have a problem saying it. I didn't. I wasn't like, oh, no, I don't believe. Father, help thou my unbelief. No, I was just, no, I don't believe. It's not going to happen. I don't believe. And they asked me, do you believe? Do you not believe that it will happen or do you not believe He can do it. And I said, I don't believe that he can do this or will do this or has any desire to do this. And that was when 
it clicked in my head, or that was around the same time, that it clicked in my head, why does he have to do it? Why can't I do it? He put the power in me to do all things, you know? And then when it's time to do all things, we're looking up at the sky going, God, when are you going to make this happen? He's not going to make this happen. You can do all things. He already did everything else. You do all things through Christ. I really believe it's important that we understand this premise, the idea that God wants you to succeed. He wants you to be victorious. He wants you to accomplish all of the great and wonderful and magnificent things that he has placed on the inside of your heart. He wants you to achieve them, but he wants you to do it, not for you to sit around and wait for him to do it. And we, like I said, are at a disservice when we're told the day we get saved, basically, he's going to be the one to do it. He's going to change everything. He's going to make everything better. You'll, I've, heard, I've even heard people say you'll never cry another day in your life. What a huge, giant lie that is. Yes, you're going to cry. Yes, you're going to be sad. You're going to have bad days, just like you're going to have good days. But what finding Jesus does is it helps to change your perception when those bad days come about. It helps to change the way you look at the things that happen in your life, and it helps to change what you do about the things that happen in your life. For instance, when I realized that God wasn't just going to miraculously give me money to pay off my bills... (laughs) right and he wasn't just gonna drop it from the sky and i don't even mean literally drop it from the sky but he just wasn't gonna have my phone ringing off the hook with new clients just because i have bills to pay no i know i have bills to pay he wants me to go out and earn money so that i can pay my bills he wants me to work at it he wants me to invest in this relationship that we have together And investing in your relationship with Christ is not just praying and fasting and singing praises and worshiping. Investing in your relationship with Christ is not just reading the Bible and memorizing scripture and having a daily devotional and putting it up on Facebook when you wake up in the morning. Investing in your relationship with Christ is going out and doing the things that he has placed on your heart to do and really doing them to the level of success and achievement. Not saying that you won't fall, not saying that you won't fail, but to continue on until it gets to accomplishment. I know my English is terrible today, but I don't know why, but I just need to drive this point home. God wants you invested in this relationship fully. He wants you to help bring to pass. That's what I should have said. He wants you to help bring to pass the things that he wants and the things that you want to accomplish in your life. He wants you to be a part of the process and he wants you to go in and work and endure and succeed and achieve and fail and be hurt and be happy and be excited and be sad and all of the things that come along with being a human being. He's not going to take away all the sadness. He's not. There are other things that are going to come about in your life that are going to make you sad, but it's your perception that determines the extent of the sadness that you partake in. It's your perception that determines whether this sadness draws you into depression and devastation or whether it's just sadness. And you can cry and he'll wipe away every tear, just like they say. Not literally, though. You'll have to get tissue, but you know what I mean. (laughs) And so that's lie number one that we have officially debunked. God is not going to change everything in your life. 
He's not going to do that. What he's going to do is as you develop a relationship with him and you begin to get closer to him and you begin to invest in that relationship with him, he's going to clarify your power and your ability to change everything in your life. And the reason I say clarify is because you already have the ability and the power. He gave that to you when you were born or before you were born. So it's not like he's going to give you the power to change everything in your life. That power is already in you. What he's going to do is he's going to clarify to you the fact that you have that power to change everything in your life. And then what you're going to do is you're going to change everything in your life. And then you're going to tell everybody, you know, that it's all because of him. That if it wasn't for Jesus, I wouldn't have been able to do this. And if it wasn't for Jesus, this wouldn't have happened in my life. And if it wasn't for Jesus leading me, and if it wasn't for Jesus guiding me, and if it wasn't for Jesus comforting me, and if it wasn't for Jesus talking to me, all of those things are what will come out of your mouth if you follow the path along with his relationship. If you follow the path of your success with a relationship with him. Those are the things that are going to happen. But I, I implore you, don't use the words... And he'll change everything in your life, too, because that leaves open too much wiggle room for the enemy to come in and misinterpret that statement. Let's begin to tell people the truth. Listen, I want you to find Jesus, but I want you to know he's not going to change everything in your life. He's not going to make everything in your life better. What is going to happen, though, as you know, Jesus, and as you meet Jesus and as you get to know him more, he's going to give you the a clarity of your ability to change everything in your life because I believe in you and I know you can do it and he knows you can do it and you might not believe that you can do it right now but I'm telling you as you get to know him you will see that you can do this that you can overcome this addiction and you can overcome this uh, pornography problem and you can overcome the lack of education that you received and you can overcome an abusive past and you can overcome a hateful family member and you can overcome 15 abortions. You can overcome all of that if you get to know him. You can do it. That's what we should be saying. And that's lie number one. Now there's another lie. Like I said, this was more of a misleading. It's not so much a lie. It's just they kind of mislead us in this area. And that's the area that says, hey, God wants you just the way you are. He wants you just the way you are. You don't have to get perfect before you come see God. You don't have to get it all cleaned up and together before you find God. And then the minute after you say the sinner's prayer, the minute after you say amen, they're right behind you telling you, okay, you got to change this and you got to change this and you got to change that. And you got to stop cursing and you got to stop hanging out with these friends and you got to stop doing this and you got to stop doing that. And I'm here to tell you, that's not true either. It's not true. It's not true. <laughs> Moment of clarity, Stefan G. I'll be right back. Holy coach, you knew the time, caught the wonder brown, I'm sound click to shine, and your fix started up. I opened up for just me and Cass met a show, soon they recruited the bro, they knew I had to. Before I did a session with Braille and K-Drama, I was ready to throw in the towel and blow out that. To make a long story short, extra credit LP was sent overseas to set the press on. KB, savvy girl, elect, hip-hop is music, mellow music, connect to bring the... Recognized by the fans, LA Sim, the CMR, we fam carrying the This is a jam dedicated to all that hold me down when I rise and lift me up. Hey. 
Quick, what do these sounds have in common? <laughs> these are the sounds of geography. Geography helps us understand connections between people and places. But our kids aren't getting enough of it. Half can't locate Japan or India, and 20% can't even find the Pacific Ocean. So we created MyWonderfulWorld.org to give kids the power of global knowledge. Go to MyWonderfulWorld.org to learn more. It's a wonderful world. Marine Corps Sergeant Andy Robinson was paralyzed when his Humvee was blown up in Iraq. Paralyzed Veterans of America helped Andy get all the health care and benefits he's entitled to. To support paralyzed veterans, go to pva.org. Man, I've been fighting like it's no tomorrow days. Seeing my reflection, taking stabs at it. Broken pieces of the mirror in my bathroom. I'm crying for the Holy Spirit, now would have you. His desperation screaming out, release this inner man. Now it's fun to watch this selfishness within my center, man. Cause even after I'm redeemed, I'm still a sinner. And my only hope is to follow Jesus. So I just figured, man, yo, I just figured that. I just wanna live like you. Lord, I just wanna live like you. Lord, I just wanna live like you. Lord, I just wanna live like you. Moment of clarity is your man, Stefan G. By the way, that's Derage. D E R A J. Derage. My man's got some new joints coming up. I think it's like in a week or two, his new joints coming out. Either way, check him out. Look him up. D-E-R-A-J, Derage. He's got really hot music. Really hot music. So anyway, we're talking about the lies that you were told the day you got saved. And lie number two is the idea that the minute you get saved, you have to stop everything. Stop everything. Stop everything. So I walk into the door of the church, right? And I watch pornography. I sleep around. I'm not an alcoholic, but I like to get drunk. I probably smoke a little bit of weed. I curse a lot. Um, I've stolen from people before, but I'm not an active thief. Um, I'm lustful towards women with big booties. Um, I do quite a bit of lying. Um, I'm not honest in in the least little bit. And um, I don't believe in myself or the people around me. And... I'm supposed to walk in this church and ask for this imaginary, or not imaginary, because God's real, but this invisible God to come into my life, and and then I'm immediately supposed to be able to stop doing all of those things? No way. Not a chance. And you know what? I would, I I know this is going to ruffle a lot more feathers than the last conversation, But I would dare to say that God doesn't want you to do that. He doesn't want you to do that. He doesn't want you to do that. Because first of all, if you could do that, you would have done it already and you wouldn't need him. Second of all, that's the easy one. I'm going to leave that alone. But second of all, he wants to be a part of the process of bringing you in to a state of holiness. Holiness is something that takes time. Holiness is not by far an instant process. Holiness does not happen overnight. Rome wasn't built overnight, and you ain't going to be holy overnight. Yes, 
little bit of my Southern coming out. You ain't going to be holy overnight. Because first, first of all, you have to find out why do I watch pornography and why do I sleep around and why do I steal stuff from people and why do I lie so much and why do I get drunk and why do I get high? And these are all things that must be discovered before you can just let them go. Think about it. When you are, if somebody's an alcoholic or we'll take smoking cigarettes, for instance, you got somebody who smokes cigarettes. They have to discover why they smoke before they can quit smoking. Because if they just try to quit and they don't know what their triggers are, the minute those triggers come up, they'll start smoking again. Or they'll start doing some other type of addictive behavior because now that smoking is off the table, I've got to find something to fill this void when this trigger comes up and I don't know what else to do. So now instead of smoking, I'm sleeping with hookers because that's, I mean, it's a lot more expensive than smoking, but I can't smoke. God delivered me from smoking. So now I'm sleeping with hookers. Or I don't even sleep with hookers. Instead of smoking, I just curse people out when I get angry. Whereas I would normally go have a cigarette when I get angry and I would breathe in and breathe out and I would enjoy my smoke and I'd come back and I'd be able to get through the day. Now, I don't have that cigarette. God delivered me from smoking. So I just curse you out. You've got to find out why you do what you do before you can stop doing what you're doing. And the reason I say that the idea that you're going to get saved on Monday and then on Tuesday, somebody's telling you all of the things that you have to stop doing. I just think that is a preposterous way to try to bring somebody into Christianity. First and foremost, I don't want to be a part of any club that the minute I join, they tell me I have to stop doing everything I've been doing all my life. Even though I know that already, that's the reason I joined the club. But I joined the club not for them to harp on all the things I shouldn't be doing. I joined the club for them to show me a better way and other things that I can be doing. And so instead of telling somebody, stop this and stop that and don't do this and don't do that. Don't you think it would be better for us to tell them, come the way you are, come just as you are. God loves you just the way you are. And then after they get saved, we continue saying the same thing. God still loves you just the way you are. Listen. Let me tell you a secret that you might not know. I don't care if you've been saved for five minutes or 50 years, right? I don't care if you've been saved for 50 years and you are still doing the exact same sin you did the day you got saved. I don't care. God still loves you just as much on year 50 as he did on day one. Does that mean he doesn't want you to change? Does that mean he doesn't want you to grow? Does that mean he doesn't want to take you to that place of holiness and that and to continue to cleanse you? Of course, it doesn't mean that. Of course, he wants to continue to cleanse you. Of course, he wants to help you get beyond whatever that sin is. But it doesn't mean he stops loving you. He loves you just as much on day one as he does on year 50 as he did on the day he died on the cross. And there's not any sin that you can commit. And this is for all my conservative friends, too. There's not any sin that you can commit, be it murder, homosexuality, uh, fornication, lying. There's not any sin that you can commit that would take his love away. Even those that blaspheme the Holy Spirit, they say blaspheming the Holy Spirit is the ultimate sin. It'll keep you out of heaven, but it doesn't keep God from loving you. He still loves you the exact same amount. 
And so if you are, well, if you're still struggling with this sin, because I was going to say, if it's been 50 years, it might not be too much of a struggle. (laughs) You might just be sinning. But if you are still struggling with this sin, because there are some people that have had traumatic childhoods that I could not even imagine. Think about it like this. I don't know how many of you watch Dexter, but I love Dexter. And I'm so sad that it's off the air. But I used to watch Dexter. And I couldn't imagine. I remember the year, uh, the season where he was going through like his Christian awakening. And most deaf was on the show. And he was trying to convince Dexter to be a Christian and all that kind of stuff. If you don't know the show, Dexter is a serial killer. He murders people and chops them up in bags and throws them in the ocean. But I always wondered, what would Dexter's pastor say to him every day? And I watched Dexter struggle with whether he wanted to do this or whether he needed to do this. And what was the void and what caused him to want to chop people up and put them in bags and throw them in the ocean? And I watched this internal struggle that he had in this TV show, right? And it always made me think about the same internal struggle that we all have as Christians. But the reason it becomes such a struggle The reason it becomes so difficult to navigate and to overcome is because we never take the opportunity to find out why we do it. Why do we do it? It's like when I realized, and I'm just going to be very open and honest and personal right now, so be ready. When I realized that the reason that I slept around was because I lacked companionship. And I had a yearning for companionship. I was an only child, so I didn't get time with people much, right? And so I was always by myself. I was always alone. And that caused me to grow up yearning to be around people. When I was in high school, man, I was the kind of guy, I loved to be around 80, 100, 150, 160. The more, the merrier was my motto for many years through high school and college. The more the merrier because I couldn't get enough of people. I just had to be around people because when I was by myself, it was awful to me. It was the worst pain I could ever experience. But that's because of how I grew up. Now there was abuse and a whole lot of other things involved in that. But the core of it was I wanted companionship. And so when I was sleeping around with these women, I felt like that was the most intimate level of companionship that I could get. I didn't know any better. I was in my 20s, early 30s. I felt like that was the closest I could get to an intimate companionship uh, exchange. I felt like it was the closest I could possibly get to being intimate with somebody. And so that's what I did. When I needed companionship, I'd sleep around until I discovered that that was the reason I was sleeping around. And then when I would get the urge to sleep around, I would call up a friend of mine and say, hey, we need to go to a movie or, hey, we need to go out and do this or I need to be around some people. Let's go hang out somewhere because I'm having my trigger moment. And I might tell them all of that, but I might not tell them all of that. But the key is I discovered the reason why I do what I did. And that's what helps you change those things that you don't want to do. It helps you to not become Paul who says, I don't do what I want to do and I do what I don't want to do, but I can't do what I need to do. And Who's going to help this wretch? (laughs) And so we have to discover why we do the things we do. And it doesn't even have to be sin. It can be something as simple as my wife asked me to take out the trash and I don't take it out. Why? Why don't I take out the trash when my wife asked me to take out the trash? If I discover why I don't take out the trash when my wife asks me to take out the trash, then I can change that behavior and I can make my wife happier.
But it's misleading to to tell us God loves you just the way you are, but change all of this stuff. It doesn't work that way. God loves me just the way I am, and God loves me just the way I am. And as I grow in relationship with him, as I read more of his word, as I get to know him better, he will begin to break down some of those things inside of me to where I don't want to do them anymore. And not that I don't want to do them just because they're wrong to do. Because see, I went through that as well. I had this long period of time in my life where I didn't want to do things because they were wrong. I don't want to do that. That's the wrong thing to do. But that was the only reason I had. And so as soon as the devil could get me to kind of click over top of the fact that it was wrong, it was over. I would do anything, anything. As soon as I got to the point where I was like, yeah, it's wrong, but I don't care. I want to do it. It was it was a done deal. It was a wrap. But we need more. And what God will do is he will begin to give you more reason to change your life and you'll find a brand new desire to change your life and it won't be as difficult if you take the time to find out why you do the things you do it won't be as difficult i'm here to tell you it won't be as difficult if you i mean go see a counselor just get the first free session if you can't afford a counselor or find somebody has sliding pay scale or scholarship opportunities or something. But talk to somebody that will help you discover, why do I do this? Why is it that whenever it's time to really get to work, I get sleepy and I don't want to do anything? Why is it that whenever I get into a relationship, I jump right into sex I jump right into sex. I jump right into the bed with somebody. Why is it that every time I'm told this is something I need to do, I rebel hardcore and refuse to do it? I've got a friend like that. (laughs) I've got a friend that if you suggest something to them, they'll be like, oh, okay. But if you say the words, you really need to do this, you can guarantee they'll never, ever do it. But if they find out why, if they find out it's because they had a overbearing mother or an abusive father that was always telling them what they needed to do and what they should do instead of telling them what they were doing and how to do better, you know, they were just, you need to do this and walk away, then you'll know why. And then you can heal from the hurt that that overbearing mother or that abusive father caused. And when you heal from that hurt and that pain, that's what causes you not to do it anymore. It's not your willpower that causes you not to do the things that you don't want to do. It's the healing of your soul that causes you not to do the things that you don't want to do. And so if you've got things in your life that you don't want to do, if you've got areas in your life where you see sin still there, if you've got areas in your life that you know are not conforming or lining up to what the word of God says, then you've got areas in your life that need to be healed. And it's time, guys, it's time. It's time that we all take some time and discover the areas of our lives that need to be healed and go after the healing. Look, forget about the 30-day fast for 30 days. Don't go on another 30-day fast. 30-day fasts are not miracles. Don't go on a 30-day fast. Forget the night watch service. Forget 
all of that stuff and heal from your pain in the past. Heal from the abuse that was rendered upon you as a child that you couldn't do anything about. Heal from the help feeling of helplessness. Heal from the fear. Heal from the feeling of being a huge, gigantic failure to everybody around you. Heal from the feeling of not ever measuring up. Heal, my friends, heal. Heal from the worthlessness. Heal from the poor self-image. Heal from the pain of not having a mother or not having a father or not having any type of parental figure in your life. Heal from the poor choices that you made as a teenager, as a high school student, a college student, as a grown A man. Heal from those bad choices that you made. Heal, my friends, if we can all really look at our lives and find out why we do these things, then we can heal from those things. And it's the healing that will bring about the change. It's the reading of God's word and the relationship with Christ that brings about the healing, that brings about the change. So a word to all my friends in the church. Stop telling me to stop. Stop telling me to stop doing this. Stop telling me to stop doing that and start asking me why I do it and start learning about me and start getting to know me and start figuring out what makes me tick and start getting to know the heart that is inside my soul and understand me. Do that instead of telling me what I should and shouldn't do. Instead of telling me that I'm sinning, and I shouldn't be sinning instead of telling me that, you know, I'm not operating in a Christ like fashion. Instead of telling me all of those things, find out why I'm not doing that and have compassion and empathy for the fact of the reason why have compassion and empathy for the reason that I'm not doing those things and lead me to a place where I can get healed because that's what's going to make the difference in my life. And that's what's going to make the difference in your life, friends, is if you go and get healing. Healing through Christ, healing through counseling, healing through uh, pastoral counseling, even words, healing from talking to friends that you can really depend on, somebody that you can really tell. You know, it's like I use the example of going and sleeping with a hooker, right? You can't tell everybody that you went and slept with a hooker. There's only certain people in your life that you can tell, I went and slept with a hooker the other day. You know, <laughs> you can't say that to everybody. There's only certain people in your life that you can tell I robbed somebody last night. There's only certain people in your life that you can tell those are the people that you need to go to. There's only certain people you can tell in your life. You know, I beat my child last night. And when I say beat, I don't mean a whooping. I mean abuse. You can't tell everybody that. But find the person that you can tell. That you trust. First of all, tell Jesus, because you can always trust him. And he's always a great place to go when you need that initial outlet. When you got a lot on your mind and a lot in your heart, and you just really just need to talk to somebody and let it out. And you don't need them to say anything. You ever have those moments where it's like, I need to talk and you need to shut up and you just need to listen to me talk. Christ is great for that. There's so many times where I've had situations and circumstances going on in my life. And I've been running through my phone trying to find somebody to call and I'll feel this tap on my shoulder like God saying, why don't you talk to me? You can tell me I'm right here instead of calling all these people and everybody's at work and nobody's picking up the phone. Why don't you just tell me? So talk to Christ, tell him, but discover why do I do what I do? Why do I act this way? Why do I perform the, this way? Why do I put on a fake front in front of people that I want to impress? 
Why? And once you discover why, you can begin to heal whatever the cause is for that action. Because for every action, there is a cause. And whatever the cause is for that action, you can begin to heal with Christ in that area. And it's the healing with Christ that causes you not to do it. You're not going to stop sleeping around based on willpower. Trust me. Trust me. You're not going to stop sleeping around based on willpower. You're not going to stop drinking just on willpower. Believe me. You're not going to stop smoking on willpower. If you could do it on willpower, you would have done it already. Because you obviously don't like that lifestyle for yourself. Or maybe you do. Some people do which is okay, but if you don't, you would have already quit by now. But it's finding out what that particular place in your life satisfied. What need does this satisfy? Why am I doing this? And when you find the need, you can find the cause. When you find the cause, you can finally find the healing. Trust me, it's the only way it's going to get done. So, Stop telling people what they need to stop doing and get to know them. This goes for all my Christian friends. Y'all just stop that madness. Stop telling people how bad they are all the time and get to know why they are that way. Stop trying to act all holy and telling everybody they are a sinner and get to know why they do what they do. And when you get to know why, trust me, it'll change everything. You might be the catalyst to them changing and not doing it anymore because they finally had somebody who understood them. And stop telling people that when they get saved, Jesus is going to make everything better. Okay? <laughs> I mean, seriously, we've got to we've got to set people up for success. And it's like we're setting ourselves up for failure when we use these blanket stereotypes type statements. Stereotype type statements. When we use these blanket stereotypical statements. Thank you. When we use these blanket stereotypical statements about Christianity, we set ourselves up for failure. And when we don't tell the truth about Christianity, we don't tell the truth about the fact that people are going to look at you funny and people are going to talk about you. And you might suffer a little persecution, but if you're in America, it's not real persecution. We'll talk about that another day. But, you know, and you're going to go through trials and trauma and you're going to be tested and you're going to be, you know, examined (laughs) and you're going to be tried, you know. All of that is going to happen. Let's give people the truth and give them the ability to really decide, wow, do I really want this thing or not? Because I bet nine times out of 10, if somebody told you what Christianity was going to be like before you got saved and then asked you to get saved, you might have said no. (laughs) I know a bunch of people that would have said no. But ultimately, you would say yes once you understand what it really is. See, when you transition from the stage of the misconception and the bad interpretation of what Christianity is and what God is supposed to do and what you're supposed to do, when you transition from there to the place of really understanding each person's role, what's my role in this relationship, God, and what's your role in this relationship, once you understand the roles in the relationship, you would always say yes to Christianity. Always. So, say yes to Christianity. (laughs) And that's my rant for the day. It's Moment of Clarity. My name's Stefan G. Go check out yourbestresumeever.com. If you're looking to fix up your resume, spruce up your resume, get the job that you've always wanted, go to yourbestresumeever.com. It will teach you how to build a resume that will get seen and loved by the hiring managers. Yourbestresumeever.com. My name is Stefan G. You're listening to Moment of Clarity. 
I will see you guys next week. I'm a freshman in this game, excuse me, pardon me. I'm nice with the pen, I can ball with the varsity. All I do is win, 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 yes I got baby. If you want some of mine, I'm sorry, I don't care. Didn't write this to get to the top of the chart, but I wrote it to get to the center like a Tootsie Pop. See, I ain't trying to take credit, credit, cause it ain't me. If you forgot, that's Kanye who walks with me. Champion yes. is my surname, cause my father made this game overcome. By the blood, that's the fight by the judge. My name is Victory, that's just my identity. Now it's time to celebrate, never focusing on hate. Not because of what I've done, it's a merited favor. If you like understanding, it's your faith that wavers. Hey. I've read the good book, for me it's a good book. If you skip to the end, you see we always are our favor over here, and favor over there. Favor ain't fair, but somebody's gotta get it. Come on.